0: what up everybody i'm tyler i'm danny and it's time for another fried squirms we're going way back again
1: because we're the way back boys <laughs>
0: <laughs> gonna hit up some herschel gordon lewis for the first time in
1: since episode three
0: since episode three jesus yeah. christ since wizard of gore blood feast today before we get there we should probably start getting a little bit stoned Let's get our green hits. Danny, what did you bring for me today? I know you told me once, but you didn't tell me on air, so it doesn't count. Yeah,
1: no worries. So today <laughs> I brought over a joint of Snowland. So Snowland, it is a indica-dominant hybrid, and this one was created in the heart of Los Angeles as a cross of the infamous Snowcap and LA Confidential strains. So these guys, they usually clock out pretty high on the THC scale, somewhere around the mid-20s. I believe this one came in at right... 23% roughly. The effects, it's usually you'll get creative, you'll feel euphoric, a little giggly, happy. You might get the munchies and you'll feel relaxed. And some of the flavors that are associated with it, you'll taste some of the citrus and fruity flavors. has a little lemony and pineapple and sweet taste. In the aromas, you'll get some diesel smells, a little earthy, lemon, lime, and a little bit of wood.
0: Sweet. Yeah, I brought some uh, super lemon haze today. Two-time cannabis cup winner. Yeah, dude. Super silver haze and lemon skunk. Despite it being super lemon haze, it's not actually very lemony. It's more of just sort of like a straight ahead fruity, a little bit of pepper. The fruity with the pepper, you still get a little bit of that same zing that like a citrus will give you, which I can understand them still yeah. calling it lemon. But you know, sativa dominant. I mean, it's, it's people know fucking super silver haze and lemon skunk, right? Oh, like, yeah, So just so. put those two, put those two together. That's what you got. I like it well, I'm going to light up yours here in a second as long as I can make sure my cat doesn't stop us from fucking playing the show. <laughs> he has been all over. I mean, we. I haven't mentioned him since like episode three when he was a kitten and he would sometimes meow at the fucking mic. But for the first time, I, I think he knows we're doing some Herschel Gordon-Lewis because he was actually trying to fucking step on my keyboard and he never does that shit. What the fuck, Teakle?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that already knows it's some good shit that you gave to me. We'll right, it could be
1: a combo of both.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that. I guess let's move into the uh, guts and bolts. Emphasis on guts of Blood Feast. Guts and bolts. Alright, guts and bolts. The who and what went into the making of this movie. And to start off, I'll give you the spoiler-free setup. For Blood Feast, in case you don't know what you're getting into, and maybe you're using us to decide on whether you want to watch this classic or not.
1: Excellent choice.
0: Blood Feast is about a deranged caterer who's killing people to use in sacrificial feasts. That's kind of maybe a spoiler, (laughs) but I don't know what else to say about this. (laughs) Well... He sets up he's a caterer pretty early on, and exactly. it, the movie doesn't hide oh, no, it, who it, he is. I'll let
1: you know exactly. So,
0: that's the movie?
1: <laughs> yeah, I like it. And of course, you know we like to talk about the people going to make in the film, whether they be behind the scenes or in front of the camera, and this gentleman you've already mentioned, our director, writer... He's also our musician, and <laughs> he composed the music for the film. Cinematographer. But I am, yeah, yeah, I am talking about Herschel Gordon-Lewis, right? And we did already mention that we reviewed Wizard of Gore all the way back on our third episode, which was one of... Uh, actually, they're, they're it, just little baby podcasters. I was like, it, it was wild, in a sense, because of some of the films that we've kind of attached to it, you know what I mean, with like the Babadook and Phantasm and some other films. So this one being no stranger, even though it's it's not directly attached to Wizard of Gore, it's just a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. But regardless, uh, some of his other films, and I'll kind of breeze through them because he's got a ton of them. Now, we have mentioned before, he is known as the Godfather of Gore alongside Lucio Fulci. And uh, this one, I don't know if you want to reveal right
0: yet. Uh, Let's talk about... Save it. Let's talk about... The people that made this. And then before we go into the the cast, we'll talk about that okay. part.
1: sounds good. All right, so some other films in the Herschel Gordon-Lewis filmography include such things as Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Now, the bears are not bears, like bears, like oh, no, bear naked. He used to do <laughs> Nudie Cuties. Exactly, so he's no stranger to those. Some other films include Some of the Earth, 2,000 Maniacs, Monster Agogo, Some people might be familiar with A Taste of Blood and The Gruesome Twosome, the film Something Weird. He might have seen She Devils on Wheels. We've already talked about The Wizard of Gore, The Gore Gore Girls, Blood Feast 2, All You Can Eat, and The Uh Uh-Oh Show. That was all the way back in 2009. Our other half of the writing team includes A. Louise Down, and Louise is known for such films as The Gruesome Twosome. She helped write that. She also wrote the screenplay for The Girl, The Body and the Pill, She Devils on Wheels, Just for the Hell of It, and Linda and Abilene. Our editors on this were Frank Romulo. He helped with Two Before Zero. And Robert Ellison Niece. And Robert is known for editing such films as 2000 Maniacs. He helped with Color Me Blood Red. If you've ever seen uh, such things as Miami Vice, maybe back in 88 through 89, he helped with five episodes. He also helped with the one episode of Baywatch back in 89. It's pretty neat. Uh, if you've ever seen the Client television series from 95 through 96, he helped with 10 episodes of those. And believe it or not, he helped with two episodes of The Dawson's Creek. Wow, okay. Yeah, back in 98. So pretty neat. The Dawson's. Yeah. Special effects, Herschel Gordon-Lewis and A. Louise Down. She helped with the special makeup effects in this. This was produced by David F. Friedman. The production company was Friedman Lewis Productions. Distributor was Box Office Spectaculars for the 1963 United States theatrical release. It had a release date on July 6, 1963 in Peoria, Illinois. The estimated budget was about $24,500. And the box office, believe it or not, $4 million bucks fucking insane. That's a lot. What? Yeah, it's pretty neat. It does have a couple of different taglines. One kind of gives it away, so I don't want to include that one. But the two, I think, that are kind of fitting are a weird and grisly ancient rite horrendously brought to life, and a nightmare of pure gore and blood color. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we get into the cast, uh, we do have to mention... That this film has its place in history.
0: Yeah. So this is generally considered to be the first splatter film, mm-hmm. setting up part of the industry that I know we both really fucking love. And I don't um, remember how much we researched it and how much we talked about it way back on Wizard of Gore, but Lewis doing this, Nudie Cutie sort of started to have a little bit of slump in popularity and he needed the new big thing to do. He really needs to be, talked about more often when we talk about like American cinema, because what he proceeded to do when those started to fail with things like Blood Feast really set up a giant model for what we would see through almost all of Grindhouse cinema. I was about to say that,
1: drive-throughs, drive-ins.
0: What later Golan and Globus with Canon Films would do. Good point. Herschel Gordon-Lewis was one of the first guys to sort of realize that If you made something shocking enough, then the controversy would get people to come into seats, no matter how little you spent on it.
1: That is pretty remarkable if you think about that.
0: And certain subjects and certain imagery will almost always get some audience, no matter how bad it is. So as long as you're spending less you can still turn a profit. So that was kind of exactly what he (laughs) literally tried to do with Blood Feast. He's like, nudes aren't working. I'm going to try to make something shocking. Exactly. We'll get into a little bit more on how we feel like that turns out later on. But the other thing he would do, though, that is really, I mean, first off, we mentioned how many things he did in the production of this. Oh, yeah. Which is another reason, like, not only was he hitting it from the business standpoint, but he was literally making most of the product himself. And But then also to tie in on the business standpoint, he would find out what films would generally be shown as a double feature with his, and he would buy the distribution rights for (laughs) them. Hell, yeah. So even if the theaters tried to fuck him and say, oh, no, you know, like they get more of the cut this night. He still owned the distribution rights, so they were still paying him.
1: He's like, yeah, okay, no problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that's something drive-throughs and shit, drive-ins would do and shit back in the day. They'd be like, for whatever reason, they would give bigger cuts to certain movies and shit. Oh. So swing ticket numbers and shit between the the two films. Well, and... he
1: sounded like he had that one figured out too, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good on him for that. That's pretty awesome.
0: But, and... He didn't always write all of his shit. What I was saying on the Golan and Globus thing is sometimes he would find scripts on the cheap that he knew had content in them that would sell, Uh and he'd basically buy it up, finish it off, distribute it, make the money. Hell yeah. While I think he also might have had, like, another business on the side that was also, like... (laughs)
1: Well, you know, if you look at his career, it kind of makes sense, too, because I know he was in advertising and things like that, too, and he was a professor. I think whenever his movie shit
0: wasn't going, his advertising business was, like, steady successful, so.
1: Yeah. It's like, he kept himself pretty busy. He, He did pretty well for himself, I think even prior to film, so.
0: But that whole, like, being able to make movies specifically because certain audiences will always go out to them is basically the business model for the entire Grindhouse era.
1: Yeah. he set up a lot of things to come in cinema. It's pretty awesome.
0: It's insane, truly. And it's a lot of shit that we fucking like.
1: You know, what's pretty cool, too, is when you stack some of those guys in that time period, the only other person that comes to mind is Corman. So, you know, those are two big figures who we owe a lot of kudos to in cinema, American cinema specifically. I feel like
0: Corman's finally starting to get his name recognized a little bit more for just how much he contributed. It's crazy. With everything he did from the business side and the creating side. But yeah. Herschel Gordon-Lewis probably needs a little bit more
1: credit. I agree. And I think, you know, within our community, he definitely has his place, you know, but mm-hmm. it's it'd be nice if it reached further than that. So, you know, time will tell. We'll see. But it's definitely owed to him.
0: So this is the first, this starts it off. Crazy, yeah. For what we consider gore and exactly splatter. I, I mean, were there, like, still bloody things before this, right? Uh, Violent. Yeah. Violent.
1: But to this extent, and this maybe graphic, Mm -hmm. I think that's where it takes the cake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so with that being said, we can move into the cast, and I'm going to lead off with William Kerwin. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I know he went by different stage names. I believe he was credited as Thomas Wood, and I was kind of curious as to why, and it starts to make sense the more you research these kind of things. But a lot of actors who had SAG cards or what have you they would go by non-union names on a non-union film.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's part of the reason why. But anyhow, he plays Detective Pete Thornton in this film, and he was one of Herschel gordon Lewis's favorite actors because he used them a lot in his films. And some of those include Goldilocks and the Three Bears, 2,000 Maniacs, A Taste of Blood, Suburban Roulette. He was also in such films as Childish Things. If you've ever seen the film Barracuda, he was in a film, this is pretty neat, with uh, Paul Newman, Sally Field, Wilford Brimley, amongst others, Absence of Malice, and the 1985 The Heavenly Kid.
0: I mean, we both watched the same video. Should we bring up the reason why he appeared in so many films?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat, man. I because think that's he just was, another neat look into who yeah. Herschel Gordon-Lewis was. I think that's pretty neat, too, because he's from what I understood from that video, that I'm sure we both watched, is that... Herschel liked people who didn't just act, who contributed outside of, like, said, he liked him because I think he had, like, cable rigs and stuff like that. Right,
0: like, I guess, yeah, he didn't like that most actors felt like that should be their only job. Yeah,
1: that's it, I'm just an actor.
0: He liked people that would contribute to the making all around of the project, and dude (laughs) had no problem, like, carrying fucking sound rigs and lighting rigs and... It's like, yeah, let's help it Helping out, and like you said, I don't know if he, I, I can't remember if it said he owned equipment and shit, too, but like, he would he actually help out, so he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, bring this guy back every time. Exactly. Even though he's not the greatest actor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but you know, for the... It's not bad. No, for like, some of the films that he was in, it's yeah. pretty interesting, you know, nonetheless. All right, we have Mal Arnold plays the role of Fuad Ramsey in this film, and... Some of his other films include Goldilocks and The Three Bears. He was also in Scum of the Earth, the film Adam Lost His Apple, and Vampire Cop from 1990. Mm. All right, we have Connie Mason. She plays a role of Suzette Fremont in this film. And she's been in some interesting things as well. She was also in 2000 Maniacs back in 1964. Now, she had an uncredited role in Diamonds Are Forever back in 71. She was also. <laughs> yeah. She was also in. The Godfather Part Two, although that was uncredited, she was also uncredited in the film Sudden Death, and the 1982 film Tangiers. Hmm. All right, we have Scott H. Hall who plays the role of Frank, or the police captain, and okay. the, the other, the other cop. Yeah, ex- exactly. The other film that I have of note was he was in the film Color Me Blood Red. Oh, okay. All right, moving forward, we have Lynn Bolton. She plays the role of Mrs. Dorothy Fremont. And the other credit that I have of hers is Sweet Bird of Aquarius, which also starred Connie Mason. I believe she had an uncredited role. And also William Kerwin, he was in that film as well. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe his brother directed that film. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they all had a, a little connection there. I was
0: trying to place the genre of that film by the name. Yeah, I think a lot of those are long enough to be a Giallo name, so it (laughs) almost threw me out. Yeah,
1: most of these actors and actresses also appeared in a lot of those nudie cuties back Mm -hmm. in the day, so no surprise there. All right, we have Christy Fushi. She plays the role of Trudy Sanders in this film. Some other roles that she uh, appeared in were the films Scum of the Earth. She was in Intimate Diary of Artists' Models, she was also in Adam Loss's Apple. She was in The Beast That Killed Woman in Calendar Pent up Girls back in 66. All right, I have uh, three more people, and that rounds out our cast and crew. I have Ashlyn Martin. She plays Marcy, or the girl on the beach. She was uh, uncredited in the film Beach Party, and she also appeared in Muscle Beach Party. Go figure. <laughs> we have Sandra Sinclair. She played Pat Tracy, who is the blonde in the bathtub towards the beginning of the film. Okay, yeah. All right. Now, some of her film credits include such things as Gentlemen Prefer Nature Girls. She was in Scum of the Earth. Yep. Oh, Belle. that's one of the
0: nudist colony movies he did, right?
1: Yeah. She was also in Belle, Bear, and Beautiful. She was also in The Beast That Killed Women, the film The Defilers, Nudes on Tiger Reef, and she was also in Calendar Pin-Up Girls back in '66. And last but not least, I have Astrid Olsen. She was the motel victim, and this is her only film credit. Yeah, so that pretty much rounds out. Like I said, our cast and our crew, we gave you a brief setup. We should give you some warnings for this film.
0: We mentioned it's the first splatter film, right? Right, so there's going to
1: be, you know, blood and gore. We already said he's the godfather of gore, so that's to be expected.
0: And then some nudity. Yeah. Because he also used to make Nudie cuties, so he has no aversion (laughs) to making sure that some tits are out at some point.
1: Yeah, I ain't mad at them. (laughs) So I I don't even think there's any language. I mean, there's... Not that I can
0: think of... I mean, it would make sense if there is a little bit, but I can't actually think of any.
1: I honestly can't either. So if there is... Maybe there's like
0: a dam or a hell.
1: Super mild, if that, yeah, right. I'm trying to think... I mean, you know, there's some violence, of course, but not anything
0: not not bad.
1: Not, honestly. It's not nah, it's not graphic. The worst or...
0: thing you see obviously how it's being done, so Exactly. So
1: I mean aside from that, think about this. Granted the time period, nineteen sixty-three, you can only go so far with this film mm-hmm. for that time period, so keep that in mind.
0: Let's find out how I made a squill.
1: Squill. <laughs> how does that make you squeal?
0: All right, Danny, Blood Feast. We watched the first fucking splatter film. I had never seen it before. Did you?
1: Me, that was my first time.
0: So how did it make you squeal?
1: Well, looking back at the film, because of the time period it was in, it's like I can see why this film probably set some people off, and you know, completely different from the conventional horror films of that time period. And as bad as it can be it's still pretty entertaining it has its merits here and mm-hmm. there you know so i'll look past that and because of some of the things we've already mentioned you know it was only shot in like four or five days down in miami like right near this uh hotel they were renting out
0: learning of a shot in only five days makes it a lot more impressive to me than when i first watched it yeah
1: and i also saw that like most of the script wasn't even complete mm-hmm during filming, so they were writing a lot of the dialogue on the fly as they were going, which is funny because you can see some of the actors and actresses reading script. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, it has its endearing moments, and it's interesting to note, like I said, too, that this is the the film that kicked off the whole splatter slash gore subgenre, so I enjoyed it for that alone.
0: Yeah, I overall enjoyed it. But if I'm going to be real, man, everything outside the actual gore scenes was
1: kind of a fucking snooze fest. Oh, yeah. Like I said, the dialogue's really bad. It's very stilted in a lot of places.
0: It's not shot necessarily very interestingly. No,
1: No, it's the framing's weird. Yeah, the dialogue's, you know, it is what it is.
0: The soundtrack's not bad, but Uh, I can listen to the soundtrack without watching the fucking screen.
1: You certainly can.
0: (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I had a hard time... Continuing to pay attention. I, I did just, too,
1: because the it's a weird paced film because of, like you said, if it's not a direct murder or something that's interesting on screen, it's just kind of forgettable.
0: Dude used to do Nudie Cuties, right? Yeah. It's fucking paced like a porn. <laughs> it really is. And
1: granted, I mean, these are, you know, somebody's grandmas or great grandmas. There were cutie pies back for that mm-hmm. time period. So, you know, he made at least that part interesting. That being said
0: anytime it was a fucking gore shot i was glued to the screen
1: yeah cuz it's like it's pretty
0: damn decent it's some of it's really fucking good like yeah. we've seen far <laughs> far worse done gore i agree especially for like okay the opening kill the fucking bathtub kill yeah the fucking leg that he stuffed in that bag that looked gnarly as shit
1: yeah see some of it looks really decent i mean of course her eye wasn't great but Everything else looked pretty darn good.
0: The eye wasn't bad. Though. No, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. No, it wasn't bad. We've seen, we've well, that's probably Some seen of worse stuff, done eyes.
1: I would imagine being a kid or teen or something like that, maybe even in my early 20s and the 60s, seeing that, where I'm like, holy moly. So you've probably seen, never seen anything like that before.
0: The leg that went in the bag looked better than the leg that was coming out of the water, but that didn't look bad. No, I agree. It's just that the one looked better than the other.
1: Yeah. And also because of, The time period too, and because this wasn't mainstream, (laughs) it's like you know, I was like, wow, I was blood
0: looks a little,
1: yeah, it's yeah, it was what it was. I did see a little bit too where he wanted to toy around with the blood effects too because of the way that it usually shows up on film. He was trying some different techniques or whatnot, so
0: it was thick, experimental. Yeah, it didn't look like they were just sloshing red water around no exactly it it, it was just a little decent. it was really red <laughs> yeah it
1: was but what i was getting at too is i wasn't expecting there to be nudity to begin with i mean it was like you know nothing we haven't seen before but I, was like, right. oh, okay. I was like oh okay
0: oh yeah okay <laughs>
1: all right that's cool uh and then it goes to that title shot the that title, title sequence. Shot was cool yeah I was like that's pretty dope something i got out of it the second time through it's like it's a debt giveaway it's that whole sequence, just the title card sequence, mm-hmm. is literally a cue, a visual cue and an audio cue of how this movie is going to carry you out, like throughout the entire way, right? Okay. It's setting up the whole e- Egyptology thing. Yeah. And anytime you hear that music, it's usually accompanied with Fuad throughout mm-hmm. the film. So it's already setting that up.
0: Well, also, the guy's name is Fuad Ramses. So. Yeah, it's like, it's.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Come on. <laughs> In... In Miami. So so Fuad's look... (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (laughs) He looked strange enough that I can't necessarily accuse him of doing brown face.
1: Yeah, 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 I know what you're saying. Because he didn't
0: (laughs) really uh, really succeed in any bit of his look. He didn't look Egyptian. He didn't look like an old man. Too strange. He looked like... A mid-30s something guy that had paint streaks uh, through his hair and yeah. eyebrows and <laughs>
1: just weird.
0: the expression he always had was something else.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was unique for sure. Uh, it didn't really scream Egyptian to me, but then again. It screamed
0: something. <laughs> that was a look.
1: Unique in and of itself. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> but maybe it matches the statue he's worshipping.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I, you know, that's, that's a funny thing, too. I mean, granted, this film is, you know, it's almost 60 years old. So whatever we're talking about has probably been talked about before. But I know some of it, too, is at the place they were staying at, the Suez Motel or Hotel, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, It apparently it had like a sphinx in front of it. Wow. So that kind of gave them the idea of, okay, yeah, let's do something and with Egyptology. Yeah, I know. Maybe other than just the title card. <laughs> right. That's about right. it. But they figured it was just something easy to go with, right? I was like, okay, it makes sense why they would do that. Because they even knew with the whole Ishtar thing that it had nothing to do with Egypt, it was a Babylonian thing. Mm-hmm. And they knew that. They're like, whatever. We're just going <laughs> to. How many people mm-hmm. in the 60s knew that, though?
0: Dude, that expression on Ishtar's face.
1: <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's like, come on, bro. Can we speed this up?
0: Right? And like just like almost like the look of somebody being embarrassed for somebody else and they yeah, can't oh, fucking they can't believe what they're
1: watching. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this mother sucker. I
0: don't know if I could worship a statue that looked at me like that.
1: I know, it's just you, you always feel I'd like I'd be like, you're... Am I doing something wrong? I was like, just say it. Come on. (laughs) I'm going as fast as I can. What did you think of the two cops when they were first introduced? Because I was like, oh, boy, this is a little rough.
0: They're part of what puts me to sleep, but them at the very end is some of my favorite.
1: (laughs) It is redeeming. They have redeeming qualities.
0: Some of the the shit at the very end, I kind of dig on. With
1: I think actually one of my favorite lines comes from the captain because of how how much emphasis he puts on things, and you can feel like it's he's either a just like overacting or b just like just really bad, <laughs> and there's a combination of the both. Well, which there's a line in like I think it's after one of the the murders. I can't remember exactly which one, but he says something to the effect about the killer. He's like, he's uncanny. <laughs> I was like, that almost felt like something David Lynch would say or put in his films.
0: So I especially started noticing this around the beach kill, but the actual violence in this is not good.
1: Yeah. I it's agree. all
0: the after effects of the gore that are good.
1: Well, you know, there was also a, a what the fuck moment for me in that whole sequence too, is the guy, Tony and the gal, Mercy, yeah, is what we yeah, find yeah. out. Right. You know, they're, you know, on the beach making out all that stuff and, you know. And he's comforting her. He's like, you know, it's all right, baby. He's going to be all right. And the, uh, what I, the reason I put, what the fuck, is what he says to her as they're like weighing down. He's like, now prove you love me.
0: Oh, yeah. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Damn. I to write that shit down. That's
1: greasy, now, Tony. <laughs> but what happens, yeah, you know, is, you know, they get attacked. And you're right. What you see, the cuts and the violence is like eh, but the aftermath because it's like damn they that looked good. Her <laughs> the fucking, brains and yeah, stuff her, that looked she pretty looked, decent. Like,
0: scalped as shit and yeah. then just busted into head. <laughs> that looked, dude. Like I looked at that and I'm like, how do we get some of the bad shit that we've
1: seen oh, later man. on
0: if they're doing this in '63 with no budget,
1: dude? It's pretty remarkable. I was like that would get a lot of people right now.
0: Yeah. That was a fucking good gore, dude. <laughs> yeah, that I was Godfather impressed with that of gore. Thank you, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Like, yeah, it's
1: like good gore. And then, right after you see that, when the boyfriend comes to and the cops come out, it's like this dude is just overdoing it right now. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it adds that like it's so bad. It it's good, and this is some of it right here. Is even when they're dragging him off camera, he's still going at it. You're like, Man, this guy.
0: So while we're thinking about the cops, I guess, one of the things that kind of threw me off was just something seemed off about the way that they were trying to investigate this. And I kind of attributed it at first to them just being dumb. (laughs) Yeah. But then I kind of realized what time period we're in. This is before, like, the FBI Behavioral Sciences Unit. Like, this is pre-Mind Hunters. That's a very good point. And so they're treating this like hunting a murderer. And... It made a little bit more sense that they were casting this ridiculously giant net that we never actually get to see. But the dude's telling him, like, what they're having the cops all do and stuff, and just how many stops yeah. and who they're targeting, and
1: all this. They shit, have a 200 mile radius, like yeah. they said. We've got cops on every street. I remember him saying that. We're, like, yeah, yeah, we're
0: okay. running this radio ad every 30 minutes. And... Make sure
1: the women hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They don't know. They're just, like you said, they're just throwing a, a, a wide net. And it seemed dumb at first, and then I realized we're pre It makes total sense. I was saying when you watch this film, you have to take that in mind, the time period and some of the things that, you know, we kind of take for granted that they <laughs> you know, there's no way they would have had that at that time. They're at their disposal, like you were saying, technology and what have you.
0: Also, it led me to the realization, I mean, I'm sure everybody else out there already knew this, but I re-looked up Mindhunter's I know that it's not completely historically accurate, but I just needed to get a time frame for when all that shit was happening just to make sure that I was right about that. Mm -hmm. And I had a fucking mind blow moment because I didn't realize that that main guy is fucking King George in Hamilton. That's pretty cool. And he's fucking like spellbinding in Hamilton. It's amazing. He's only in the fucking play for like 10 minutes. And he... Kills it? yeah, so, ing- so good. So good. So awesome. good. Anyway. Well, yeah. Anyway, I've just been listening
1: <laughs> to a lot of Hamilton lately. How about that? <laughs> nice. Okay. So, second murder happens. We talked about that the overreaction by the boyfriend. And then the parents, too, when they show up, the mom's overreacting. Mm-hmm. And there's subtle clues throughout the film. I mean, you know, even though it's it's silly as it is, it does tie. Loose threads together, meaning like they keep doing the Egyptian thing. Yeah, they clue in on like the first woman has the book, right? Then the second girl or third girl, she's in a book club, you know. And we, when once you start adding all those clues and you find out because it's isn't
0: bad in the way that it doesn't make sense, right?
1: It's just the acting, and I mean, like, so we have to take in mind: super low budget, four or five days. You know, you just get your friends or whoever you could. A lot of these these women were mostly like playboy bunnies yeah. down in Miami, you know, so took advantage of that too. Uh, interesting story, which was actually what we're leading into, is the, what I wrote down as like the third murder on film was uh, the motel victim. Now that actress, she didn't know exactly what her part was going to be until they filmed it and then, you know, they wrapped and whatnot. So what I gleaned, and this is, I can't remember if it was Joe Bob Briggs or one of the ones I watched, said the reason why they chose her is because she was the only one that had a mouth big enough to fit all of like the blood the and yeah. I was like, that's for interesting.
0: The fake tongue and the blood. Yeah,
1: it's like a. That was the first time there was like a tongue rip out for a victim on screen, so that's a part of cinema history, I suppose. And yeah, the effects and. You know, it's kind of an infamous scene. I think he's even attached to like some of the poster art and whatnot for this film. So,
0: how hard do you think it is to rip out a tongue? Oof, I'd hate to try, but it seems like it'd be a lot harder than that, right? Yeah, it's like it It seems like it's really connected in there, like
1: it'd get messy. And then when you do pull, it's like, ooh.
0: you probably need something to cut, right? You're like, you're not just pulling that fucker. Yeah, that's kind of what I figure about it, but. Maybe not. Like I've never tried to pull anybody's tongue uh, out. I'm, I might be wrong. I might be wrong.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I have no idea. I have, but I would imagine it takes a lot of force.
0: Right. Yeah. More than fucking what he put into Greybo it.
1: Graybo had. <laughs> yeah, but he got it, man. He got her, and it didn't look bad. Like I said, some of the effects, you know, her reaction, all that stuff. It was funny because uh, what what you learn about her and what you have used. She thought she was going to get more acting parts. She's like, "No, that was it. That's all we needed was you for." You got killed. Yeah.
0: What the fuck other scene you're going to come back for? You got killed.
1: <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, uh, yeah. So it's no wonder why this is probably her only acting credit. <laughs> all right, uh, this is something I thought was kind of funny in a sense. Is uh, somewhere along the way, oh yeah, Suzette and her mom they're discussing the party. And then Mm -hmm. uh, they're also talking about the murders and what have you. And Suzette tells her mom that she's going to a lecture about Egyptian gods, right? so happens to be Ishtar and all that stuff. And some of the friends of Suzette are there, right, including Detective Pete. And the whole time, the lecturer's pretty much spelling out what the film's about, yeah. right? He's <laughs> basically telling you exactly like, what by this the way, is.
0: This is what's going on.
1: Yeah, spells it completely out. And it's not bad. Even like the sequence that you get that accompanies his lecture, it's not bad. That,
0: yeah, that was cheesy as fuck. Yeah, it it's cheesy as fuck, but not bad. It wasn't bad, yeah.
1: No, no, no. He's like, you get it. Give you some, I don't know, some texture You know, something to go along with it.
0: It was better than just watching the old guy ramble on.
1: Yeah, but this is what I thought was hilarious. Was when the detective is like, yeah, I can give you right back. Their drive, the transitions from day to night to day. Before
0: we get there, (laughs) when they're talking after the lecture. Yeah. First off, I thought it was funny because everyone else goes up and like shakes the professor's hand and shit. Like, thank you for this. They walk up just like everyone else and... Everyone knows that it's just their cue to leave. <laughs> like, all right, we got to balance. There's no difference to the w- in the way that they walk up to That's the funny. podium. But the professor doesn't even turn to say hi. They just all fucking clear out. Peace. But the second thing was I just had, I was like, oh, That's shit. Hilarious. Fucking phrasing. Because one of the things she says is, how could a race of people follow oh, yeah. such an evil cult?
1: That's a good point. I'm like, I know it's 63, but don't say that. Yeah, don't say that one. Don't say that one. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, it's it's a time period, unfortunately. Anyway, the
0: transition in the car, right?
1: Bitch is just staring at him. Yeah, it's weird, man. Now, here's something of note. Because of this film and because they happen to act in it together, they wound up becoming an actual couple in real life. Yeah, so... If I'm not mistaken, that's the reason why she was in 2000 Maniacs. Like following this film makes sense. He was as well. So, anyway, you might be safer with the killer than you are with me. Uh, yeah, no, like, damn. Now this film kind of implies that these girls are teenagers on top of it, mm. and a virgins on top of mm. it as well.
0: Yeah, they imply. See, I I didn't catch the implied that they were teenagers. They when they implied they were virgins, I'm like, I ain't buying it. <laughs> These chicks no. are
1: fucking... Especially the motel freak. She's definitely boning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not buying that. So anyhow, in that kind of context, she's like, that's kind of creepy. The detectives, you know, this guy's much older, as is. Yeah, yeah. You know, even within the frame of the film. It's like, ooh, it's kind of weird. But anyway, I was like, this is what you get for like the B-movie magic, is these weird transitional shots from day to night to day, back again. Because... Throughout the film, that happens several times. Now, we get it because of the low budget and what have you, but it's just like for continuity's sake, it's just like real bad. It's so obvious, especially later on when Fuad abducts uh, Trudy, right? Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be like 7.30 at night or some shit. It's <laughs> were like, <laughs> like 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> he ain't bullshitting me. <laughs> but yeah, long story short, uh, the next one you get is actually the victim. That's why they drive off is... They hear a report, and it's actually uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis who does the radio announcing. And there's a victim, a young, unidentified, 23 year old girl, female victim. She so happens to be alive, but she's of course in like critical condition or some shit. Etar, Etar. <laughs> like her acting is so silly. It's it's not bad, but you're like, damn, she's she's selling it right now.
0: Wait. <laughs> Her fucking, dude, her fucking death when it happened. I'm like, did she, they're just going to say that she died, isn't she? Those cops are going to come in and then that's exactly what did happen. They just came in. They're like, listened for a second. They're like, yep, fucking nothing we can do. She is dead.
1: She's dead. You saw it.
0: Yeah, Y'all saw it. There ain't shit we can do. We ain't got those paddles yet, apparently.
1: Yeah, all she basically tells them is her name. So we learn who she is. And then she says, wild eyes, and like you were saying, etar, etar, uh, uh, and then she's dead. All right, this is where you put together, the, the name of the book is weird as it is, Ancient Weird Religious Rites. It's like who puts weird, weird. <laughs> as a descriptor in that book? Fuad does. But Trudy sends a letter to Fuad because she needs a copy and, of course, includes her address he happens to have a phone book. He makes the phone call. She's not there, but he learns that she's at the Fremonts, who the mom earlier has already, you know, hired mm-hmm. for him to cater the party. So he's like, "All right, light bulbs going off. I want to check up on this gal." And then we get the little pool party, right? I'm like, "This dude likes some boobies." Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. And so does Fouad for a little bit because he's creeping on them. They have this weird broken audio exchange with the women and Trudy goes off, right? That's where homeboy abducts her, takes her back, fucks her up pretty good.
0: Now, the whipping is the most outright violent thing in the movie and <laughs> it's absolutely paint on the end of ropes. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> of course it There's is. no, there's not a single second where that's not the case.
1: Man, th- This. <laughs> I'm like, man, if this movie wasn't already silly as it was, the detective, it took him forever to put all this shit together, right? Because he finally does. He's like, oh, um. he's talking to Suzette about Trudy because she's still missing, right? And he said he's going to be late to the party. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. It's going to be an Egyptian feast. Oh, like the one that Dr. Flanders gave at the lecture. I hope it's not exactly like that one. Oh, it's Fuad Ramses. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then he starts putting shit together and he's like, Oh, finally, homeboy. So anyway, he puts an APB out to the catering business, right? And by the time they get there, Ramses is already gone. They find the shrine. They find the body of Trudy. That's that fucked pretty up. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um they find all the remains.
0: If you look real close, it doesn't look as good, but what I think is really cool about when it's panning over and and showing off how he fucked her up is just the placement of all like the torture implements. Yeah. Are actually, I don't know, like when you look at them closely, they're more artistically placed than realistically <laughs> placed, yeah, point. but it really just sells the the whole effect yeah, in a way. Yeah.
1: It's not bad. And it looked pretty decent. That's mm-hmm. for sure. All right. So what they do next, of course, is they know that the party's happening. Oh, and she's totally breathing. Oh, a lot of these women you can see. Like there's little body movements. I know you, we've talked about this before, and we can't help but nitpick this. But some of it's pretty totally obvious. <laughs> yeah, some of it's pretty obvious. All right. They know that the Fremont Suzette are having the party. So, of course, that's the next place he would beat, the likely place. And, of course, he is. And, of course, he asks young Suzette that he needs her in the kitchen because he needs her help, <laughs> right? Of all places, right, with a house full of guests right in the next room, he's trying to offer her up to Ishtar. He
0: just can't help himself.
1: Yeah, and she's like, she keeps getting up. She's like, this is silly. He's like, yeah, of course it is, <laughs> right? And just before he does, he has that fucking, now that machete look pretty you know, janky. Yeah. But I can imagine what it could do. Right. You know, just it rips. Mom breaks it up. He goes fleeing. Cops arrive. <laughs> he leads him on a foot chase to like a dump. <laughs> is that what it is? That's not what it's implied. That is like I landfill guess so. or some landfill. shit. Yeah. And the likely place that he jumps into happens to be a garbage truck with a compactor in the back, which of course ends him. And, <laughs> and, the, and the the most puntastic line in the film. He's like he got squashed like the garbage. garbage he is. is. <laughs> like, all right, and then Detective Pete pretty much waxes poetic about how he figured it out.
0: I love that they cut to the fucking captain <laughs> just fucking smoking his pipe with the most obvious ADR. Oh, and God, I'm wondering yeah. how bad he must have fucked up his line right there for them to use. <sighs> Just like homeboy fucking There's, smoking on his shit.
1: I can imagine, man. There's some pretty mm. bad ADR in this. Even some of the screams are like, oof. But, but, like, so we that get that. It's one of
0: my favorite things ever, though, where like that's just happened. The garbage man's just kind of like looking <laughs> at his shit. Yeah. He's kind of happy that he helped out, which is like he seems to be kind of pleased once they tell him what happens, he's but like, he's still he just no like idea. sitting there like looking at he's his like, shit. Uh-huh. And <laughs> then he goes, Let's go home, Frank. (laughs) And they
1: just leave dead fucking
0: serial killer.
1: Well, you know, even the mom, right? Because of the fucking feast and all that, she's like, well, I guess we're going to serve up hamburgers. (laughs) Yeah. And the girl on the phone with her boyfriend. Oh, my God. Bill. Bill. (laughs) You know, I know they did a lot of that stuff purposely, you know, with his background we've already talked about. Throwing some of the little slapstick stuff in here and there, like they didn't take it serious, you know, and neither should we for that sake. Like I said, it's not a bad film. It's it's pretty entertaining for the most part. It's not a great film. I'm thankful that it only runs like an hour and seven minutes. That if definitely there's helps. Boobs
0: or blood on screen, it's worth
1: looking at. Yeah, for Otherwise, sure. Otherwise,
0: you can just listen to it. And you're yeah, and
1: really it's like said, it's a pretty straightforward film. There's nothing to be gleaned, like cerebrally from this film but it's it's nice to know that this is like a landmark or a foundation for films to come out of this you know yeah so we owe a lot of our fandom for gore films splatter films what have you because of this film and because of Herschel gordon lewis so uh that alone you know is a testament to this film and his vision Mm mm-hmm
0: yeah, super fucking cool. Glad to finally watch it too. Yeah,
1: it was fun, man, and it didn't hurt that Tubi had it. So for those who are curious, you can check it out on there.
0: Just like I mean, Tubi's free, so there's ads and shit, and it is fucking political season. Oh, so God. <laughs>
1: yeah, Just hope to fucking you can. Warn y'all. Hope you can bear that for a little bit. Yeah,
0: you're probably already getting it from like the YouTubes and shit, but yeah, oof. Tubi's got it too. Ooh, anyway. Oh man, we have next week figured out. Don't I think we?
1: so. Yeah, it's gonna be
0: we're, fun. We're kind of good at this sometimes. So next week we'll be uh, talking about the movie Eat. Oh yeah. And we're gonna have a guest back for the first time in a bit. Our boy Alex is gonna join in, unless this ends up being like every other time we've fucking announced a guest, and then <laughs> <laughs> and in that case we'll have a backup. Yeah. We'll figure something out. In order to listen to that next week, though, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That'd be super cool. If you can rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would be even cooler because of algorithms and running the world and internets and all that shit. Like, help us get heard more. That'd be cool. Uh, you can always go check out our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Check out our entire back catalog there. Contact us through the website or by emailing us squirmcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. While you're at the website, if you click the links up at the top, you'll notice we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can check out the other shows on there. Listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. Listen to my co-host from there talk about fucking wargaming with more treatises on the art of war gaming and more shows to come, hopefully very sooner than later. Not quite as soon as we would all like, but Corona. <laughs> the easiest place to keep up on when those things will happen, though, would be to go to that website, earverm.com E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Search for fried squirms across all the social medias. I hit it all, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So once again, we enjoy your recommendations. If you have suggestions or if you're a filmmaker or in the field, And you want to talk to us or show us your film, let us know. We're always up for that as well.
0: And until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Oh,